Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to the British Royal Fanatic Podcast. I'm Hayden, your American friend with a passion for British royal history. Before we talk about today's episode, we have some royal updates. In the past few days, some big news has come out about the royal family. To start, today, the Duke of Edinburgh was admitted to hospital. Now, not a lot of details have been announced about Prince Philip's state and condition, but they have said that he has quote-unquote been feeling unwell and they brought him to hospital as a precautionary measure. That is all we know. Prince Philip isn't feeling well and he has been brought to hospital. This is one of the few times in the past few years where they brought him there as a precautionary measure. The second and third are about the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. So they are back in the news Uh, The Duke and Duchess of Sussex have announced that they are expecting their second child this week, which is good news for them. That's very exciting. Uh, This comes a few months after revealing that Duchess Meghan suffered a miscarriage in the summer. It was very public that she announced that she had suffered a miscarriage, so... It is wonderful that not only were they able to conceive again, but that this child is so far on its way to being happy and healthy, and we wish the best for the royal couple. This also comes at a time when uh, it was announced that Prince Harry would be going back to England for some summer royal engagements that he has to attend as being a member of the royal family, but the Duchess would not be coming with him. This makes a lot more sense because... (laughs) Megan will be very pregnant at that point and it will be unsafe for her to travel. Now, this new royal baby also poses some new situations. Here in America, any child that is born on U.S. soil is therefore considered a U.S. citizen. And also, being a royal baby, this new child will be eighth in line to the British throne. So it poses this weird situation and could potentially pose constitutional crisis in the future if this child decides to run for office. Being a U.S. citizen, it could, but being a member of the British royal family, it can't. So who knows if it'll happen. It's just a hypothetical to think about. But the other news is that uh, the Duke and Duchess will be sitting down with Oprah for a big tell-all interview. This is much in the style of the 1995 interview with the BBC with Diana, Princess of Wales. Now, apparently, the word on the street is that the royal family didn't know much about this interview. In fact, they found out about the same time we, the general public, did. And so now there's a bunch of other things moving quicker than anticipated. Apparently, the review period of the Duke and Duchess of Sussex leaving royal family work is ending sooner than anticipated. You know, when they left early last year, they were going to have a year review period to be sure that they got set up fine. But one thing that the Queen has made clear is that you can't be half in, half out. It's either all or nothing. Well, they're 
they're choosing their own path and that is their right and they're they seem to be following all the rules as best they can but apparently as with news of this interview with oprah things are moving a lot quicker than anticipated and they may be losing more of their patronages as they're leaving the royal family in terms of work they are still members of the royal family they are no longer working royal members of the family now, this interview is set to be released on CBS. USA Today reports that the interview will be a CBS special that will be airing on Sunday, March 7th, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can bet that there will be a special episode of the podcast reporting on that. But those are some updates that have been happening this past week with Prince Philip and also the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. This week, we will be continuing to delve into royal residences, and this week we are headed over to Kensington Palace. This residence is quite strange when compared to other residences. Uh, It is a residence, a full-time residence for the royal family. I like to call it the royal apartment complex, but that's just my saying of it. It is currently the London home of their royal highnesses, the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and their family, as well as many, many more. But it's also a full-time museum slash preserved royal residence with the state rooms of the palace open to the public to tour. Other royal residences are open to the public. That isn't anything new. But they're only open during a set time of the year when the royals aren't in residence using them. Kensington Palace is a little different being that it is both a full-time residence and a full-time museum being open pretty much all the time. Granted, we're in a COVID world, so (laughs) the palace is currently closed to visitors. But having this dual personality brings this air of excitement to Kensington Palace that not only while you're touring there, you could potentially bump into... uh, either either Prince William or Kate Middleton. Kensington Palace has been home to some of the highest profile members of the firm, quote unquote, and even being the birthplace of a few monarchs. It has around a 400 year history that's rich and colorful. So stay tuned as we delve into the history of Kensington Palace. My sources for today's episode come from both the Royal Family and the Historic Royal Palace's website, as well as a wonderful and helpful article from theculturetrip.com. Kensington Palace is located in London in an area, you guessed it, known as Kensington. Kensington Palace was once a small and suburban villa known as Nottingham House. The new monarchs at at the time, King William III and Queen Mary II, chose this modest little mansion in 1689 to be their country retreat. They were first based at Whitehall Palace, which was in the heart of London. However, the smoke and dampness of the city, as well as the king's health, he was known to be an asthmatic, as well as the long travel between... Whitehall Palace and Hampton Court Palace spurred them to search for a new home that was a little bit closer to Parliament, but also a little bit in the country. 
They wanted a new place to live as the king's health wasn't the best and being an asthmatic, he needed to stay away from the fog and the cold that was the River Thames. Kensington Palace was originally a two-story Jacobean mansion that was built by Sir George uh, Chopin in 1605. The mansion was then purchased in 1619 by the first Earl of Nottingham, and it was then known as Nottingham House. In, in the summer of 1689, the king and queen bought Nottingham House from the Secretary of State, Daniel Finch, the second Earl of Nottingham, for £20,000 at the time, which, when converted into today's money, is around £5 million. And, fun little factoid, there's still an homage to Nottingham House on the cast- on the palace grounds, and that is Nottingham Cottage, or Not Cot as it's known, which is a little uh, home on the estate grounds that uh, Prince William and Prince Harry, and I believe Princess Eugenie have all lived in it at some point in their life. In 1689, both the king and queen commissioned Sir Christopher Wren to draw up new plans and to begin to renovate Nottingham House into Kensington Palace. The queen herself was very excited about this project. She was very excited to turn Kensington Palace into what we know of today. So she took charge in this project to transform this little country home into a grand palace. She made regular visits to check on progress and to hurry the work along because, you know, they wanted to get in there as soon as possible. Now, while a huge workforce was laboring away with the building, a team of designers were already preparing different decorative schemes for the new rooms. So not only was the outside being worked on, but the inside was being worked on at the exact same time. However, Queen Mary may have pushed them a little bit too far, and it it had some pretty disastrous consequences. In November of 1689, part of a newly built wall collapsed, which killed a man and badly injured a few others. It happened minutes after the queen left the site on a tour, and this shook her up pretty bad. Um, The queen even wrote to her husband saying that, quote, it shewed me the hand of God plainly in it, and I was truly humbled. Even with this accident, the palace did finish on schedule, and the king and queen were able to move in on Christmas Eve of 1689. Once they moved in, this opened up a new era to Kensington Palace. It was an era of magnificent balls, and it lasted about a three-year period, When it, beginning in about 1691. They used their new ornate rooms, the elegant staircases, and impressive halls to much effect, and it was very successful. Guests ate, drank, gambled, and flirted their way until dawn, Once or twice a week, the king and queen held what they called drawing rooms, hence where the term drawing room and the actual room, being a drawing room, came from, we can credit to them, not being the 100% source, but they had influence over it. But these drawing rooms are where they mingled with different distinguished visitors, such as ambassadors, foreign princes, other members of the aristocracy, and basically anybody important. 
things were going really well at this new Kensington Palace. A quote from one of the guests from these parties states, and I quote, Saturday Night Last was a great entertainment made for the Prince of Baden at Kensington, where was dancing and gaming and a great supper and a banquet of sweetmeats. There could be no less than 1,000 persons. So imagine all these fairy tale balls that we like to think of when associating with royalty, but actually happening at this time. And Kensington Palace was the heart of it. This golden era would last around three years, but it would be cut very short. When he lost his much-beloved queen, when she died of smallpox in 1694, he lost a lot of enthusiasm from his grief. He lost a lot of drive for these grand entertainments and these big balls, and instead retreated to much more quiet evenings and concerts. Despite his grief, in losing Queen Mary, uh, King William was able to finish the building and with it he added a grand gallery on the south end of the palace, which enlarged Sir Christopher Wren's original plan. It was here, known as the King's Gallery, that the King caught his fatal chill that was exacerbated by injuries after a horse riding accident days earlier at Hampton Court Palace. His eventual death in 1702 from these injuries was then followed by a brief but very eventful reign of Queen Anne. During Queen Anne's reign as queen, she moved around a lot. She moved around between palaces and castles, and this was in between bouts of ill health and also her pregnancies. Keep this in mind, she was pregnant 17 times, but sadly, none of her kids would survive childbirth, which would be a big trauma on anybody. I can't imagine that, that kind of pain. But as reigning queen, Anne used the king's apartments at Kensington, while her husband, Prince George of Denmark, used the queen's apartments, which in some ways makes sense. The queen would use the sovereign's apartments and her husband would use the consorts. While her reign as queen was short, her time spent at Kensington was also limited as well. She actually preferred going to Hampton Court Palace instead of Kensington Palace. She enjoyed hunting more at Hampton Court Palace, but she did spend time there at Kensington Palace. Now, while she wasn't a great builder in her time, being queen, she did do a lot to the palace grounds at Kensington Palace. We can credit a lot of the observatories, greenhouses, and even the orangery to Queen Anne, putting them there first, and then as the palace got renovated, they've built on from them. But some of the first greenhouses on Kensington Palace's grounds, we can credit all the way back to Queen Anne. Now, a fun pop culture fact, the film The Favorite is mostly set at both Kensington Palace and Hampton Court Palace. In fact, in the film you can even look, they used actual some of the Hampton Court Palace locations for the film, which is kind of cool that they got to use the actual palace locations for filming. Now, it is known at Kensington Palace that the famous argument between Queen Anne and the Duchess of Marlborough took place there. You know, the Duchess of Marlborough was known to be kind of manipulative and cruel to the Queen, and 
Kensington Palace was the location where their friendship finally came to a head and they put it all out on the table and it ultimately led to the end of their friendship. Following the death of Queen and the new Georgian kings from Hanover, found the palace quite nice, it was in their taste levels, and they moved in rather quickly. King George I moved in and under his instruction, the palace was redecorated, enlarged, and changed, and we can all credit that to the new up-and-coming artist, designer, and architect, William Kent. uh, Kent's most lasting achievement at Kensington Palace was his painted interiors. He did a lot with painting these wonderful scenes on the walls of Kensington Palace. The spectacular King's Staircase features life-size characters from King George I's court. The next monarch, George II, and his wife, Queen Caroline, enjoyed hosting a a far lively affair in (laughs) livelier court in these elaborately painted spaces. They invigorated court life at Kensington Palace, offering a breath of fresh air and completely different hosting style. They hosted lavish receptions and they were leading society with sparkle and awe, really setting the standard for what was acceptable and what was not. Queen Caroline was rather clever And not only with her duties as as consort, she also held intellectual salons where some of the brightest minds in both art and science gathered together. And she piggybacked off what Queen Anne was doing and really helped redesign and shape the palace gardens and the palace grounds. However, as you can expect, this wonderful time of bliss, sparkle, awe, and glamour would be cut short as after Caroline's death in 1737, court life fell into a dull, dull drum. It fell into a predictable routine where excitement and the awe of everything was gone. King George II really didn't have much draw to keep that up anymore without without his queen. And then when George II dropped dead from a heart attack in 1760, that would be the last time a reigning monarch would sleep in the palace walls for almost 70 years. His grandson, King George III, who assumed the throne, didn't like Kensington Palace at all, and he never stayed there, period. Instead, what King George III did is he began granting apartments of Kensington Palace to other family members within the royal family. Simply put, he didn't want to live there, but it was nice enough he figured other members of his family would. And thus, it began to develop its connotation as being this royal family dormitory, or as I like to call it, the royal family apartment complex. In his lifetime, among those in the family that did stay there was his fourth son, Prince Edward, the Duke of Kent. His wife, the German Duchess of Kent, Victoria, would give give birth to a little baby girl in 1819. She was christened Alexandrina Victoria, and if you guessed it, that's Queen Victoria. She was baptized in the beautiful and splendid cupola room. However, Prince Edward, the Duke of Kent, died eight months later, which left the Duchess to raise little at the time known Princess Alexandrina or Princess Victoria. 
but she had to raise this little princess by herself. And this is where Kensington Palace, the history and prestige of Kensington Palace, now shifts to being the birthplace of Queen Victoria. The Duchess of Kent really did her best to educate and protect this little princess who might one day become queen. At this time, it was unsure whether Victoria would be queen, but the Duchess saw the writing on the wall. Victoria was educated almost entirely within the confines of the palace. Her daily program of lessons, which then became known as the Kensington system, was judged by some to be harsh even during the time of the early 19th century. Now, while they were frequent trips to the theater, there were daily rides in the garden, and she spent time with her favorite dog, Dash, Victoria virtually saw no other children. She was kept away. She was kept private. And she was kept away from life at court as well. She was completely secluded away in this Kensington system. Later in life, Queen Victoria later recalled the childhood full of painful and disagreeable scenes, but ultimately she enjoyed life at Kensington Palace. On the morning of June 20th, 1837, Princess Victoria woke up being told that the king had died. King William IV had died. And guess what? She was queen. She first met the her new Privy Council at Kensington Palace in what was known as the Red Salon. And then a few weeks later, she left Buckingham she left for Buckingham Palace, admitting that she would miss her home at, at Kensington Palace. There is a painting depicting this meeting of Victoria, uh, the new Queen Victoria with her new Privy Council. And it is historically known that she'd be wearing black at the time mourning the mourning the uh, the late king but in the painting she's worn she's depicted wearing white and that was a deliberate choice by the artist so that you could see her better after Victor- after queen victoria left for buckingham palace kensington palace regained its reputation and thus took on its life once again as the royal apartment complex it was home to several minor members of the royal family as well as her eccentric uncle, the Duke of Sussex, Queen Victoria uh, lodged two of her daughters there, a Princess Beatrice and Princess Louise. And Princess Louise was known to be a very talented sculptor. She actually had not only her apartments there, but she actually had a full art studio on the palace grounds as well. In fact, Princess Louise designed the iconic statue of Queen Victoria on the west front of the palace grounds, and it was unveiled in 1893 to help celebrate Queen Victoria's Golden Jubilee. In 1899, Queen Victoria opened the state apartments to the public, and this not only continued through the early 20th century, but it continues still to this day, as parts of the palace have remained open while other members of the royal family and other loyal staff, members of military, and anybody else that's been granted a quote-unquote grace and favor apartment live on the palace grounds. As World War I and World War II came to a close, and with the older Victorian royals slowly dying away, this left Kensington Palace open to a completely new generation of royals. And some of these royals we we know and actually have shared a lifetime with. Some of these royals include, of course, Princess Margaret 
and Lord Snowden. They moved into Kensington Palace shortly after their their marriage, and they lived in apartment 1A. Lord Snowden didn't spend a lot of time at Kensington Palace, especially as their marriage began to crumble, and it eventually became the home of just Princess Margaret. In fact, while lady-in-waiting, Lady Glen Connor actually lived with Princess Margaret at Kensington Palace for a year, and Lady Glen Connor went on record in her book, Lady in Waiting, My Life in the Shadow of the Crown, said that living at Kensington Palace was actually quite nice. She really liked it. She liked walking the palace grounds, and she enjoyed her time with Princess Margaret in the in the apartment. And in fact, apartment 1A, at the time, backed up to a few exhibits at Kensington Palace, and Lady Glen Connor was afraid that somebody would mistake one of the multiple doors going into her bedroom would be the next part of the exhibit and they would accidentally walk in on her. Of course, we all know that the Prince and Princess of Wales lived at Kensington Palace. Also, after their wedding, Prince Charles and Princess Diana lived in apartments 8 and 9, and while that was the official London residence of the Prince and Princess of Wales, Prince Charles spent more time at Highgrove in Gloucestershire, and eventually, before their separation, he basically didn't live at Kensington Palace at all. It was mainly the hub of not only Princess Diana, but for the little princes, Prince William and Prince Harry. Of course, they're um, currently, also, we get into modern day, uh, the Duke and Duchess of Kent currently live there, the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester live there, um, Prince and Princess Michael of Kent live there. Thinking back to the older um, Dukes and Duchesses of Kent and Duke and Duchesses of Gloucester, uh, both Princess Marina and Princess Alice lived at Kensington Palace as well. So Kensington has been sort of the London home of the Dukedoms of Kent and Dukedoms of Gloucester. As I said before, this is the official London residence of the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge and their little family. They moved into the apartment that was previously owned by Princess Margaret. They moved in there shortly after their wedding. They did spend some time in Notcot or Nottingham Cottage, just getting used to being married and being newlyweds, and also while apartment 1A was being renovated. Now, it is known that also the Duke and Duchess of Sussex did live at Kensington Palace at one point. They, too, lived in Notcot, and it was alleged that they were going to be moving into an, a larger apartment closer to Prince William and Catherine, but they instead opted for Frogmore Cottage on the Windsor Castle estate to be a little bit more out of public eye. The last royal that we know of that does currently live at Kensington Palace is Princess Eugenie and Mr. Jack Brooksbank. They live on one of the smaller residences on the cal- on the, pastel, the palace grounds. And of course, they just welcomed their new little ones. So they're spending time there, tending to their little one and being a not only a royal couple, but being <laughs> welcoming in their new baby. On the palace estate, there are a few other places where the royals can live. There's Nottingham Cottage, Ivy Cottage, and the old stables on top of the palace itself. Kensington Palace outside the state apartments are broken up into larger apartments that the royals can use where they have their own state rooms and private rooms as well. The state rooms, at least the official palace state rooms, are still open to the public and you can tour them and some of the palace grounds themselves. 
Most notably, a statue of Diana, Princess of Wales, is set to be revealed at Kensington Palace at some point this summer. It was commissioned by both Prince William and Prince Harry. It was said to be unveiled a few years ago, but with the rift that has been happening and debates between and delays with the statue and then with the COVID pandemic, it got delayed a few times, but it is said to be unveiled this year. In some instances at Kensington Palace, some of the official public areas of the palace can be rented out for private events, such as business meetings, parties, and weddings. I have seen a few photos where wedding receptions have taken place at Kensington Palace, so it's a fun way to experience some form of royalty while you're there. Currently, in terms of exhibits, they still have going on an exhibit about Queen Victoria. You can tour some of the areas where Queen Victoria lived when she was a child and actually a young queen before she lived, before she moved to Buckingham Palace. And there is a huge exhibit about some of the gowns that are in the royal collection that were previously worn and owned by the late Princess of Wales. Most notably, they got the Travolta dress in their collection, and that is on display. And that is a must-see. It's a beautiful midnight blue gown that I cannot wait to see at some point when I go over to Kensington Palace. To round out our discussion about Kensington Palace, here are some fun facts about the palace. In 1770, someone discovered a book of drawings by Leonardo da Vinci himself. A remarkable find considering that da Vinci had been dead for 181 years at the time when the drawings were found. The book of drawings was thought to have belonged to Charles I, but no one's sure. They just opened a drawer and found a book of da Vinci drawings. During the reign of George II, Queen Caroline also just casually opened a drawer in an upstairs room and discovered a collection of paintings by Hans Holbein the Younger, Henry VIII's official court painter. So people are just finding priceless pieces of art at Kensington Palace. Kensington Palace, of course, for paranormal fans out there, is alleged to be haunted. It's apparently you can hear weird noises and uh, the nighttime security and other residences have said they felt presences, heard things, felt things. Um, Apparently, the uh, nursery at Kensington Palace is rumored to be haunted by Peter the Wild Boy, one of King George II's former attendants. Now, apartment 1A is rumored to be the most haunted. Um, Apparently, George II himself has been spotted, as well as his granddaughter, Princess Sophia. And of course, there have been stories and alleged stories that people have seen and felt the ghost of Princess Margaret and Princess Diana. So Kensington Palace has a lot of history. But one thing to point out, a reigning monarch has not lived at Kensington Palace for over 250 years. In terms of royal residences, Kensington Palace may be one that the Sovereign no longer officially uses, but being the quote-unquote royal apartment complex, 
is quite important. Aside from the royals that reside within its walls, it is also the headquarters for many of the charities that said royals are patron of. The palace has become a huge hub for tourism, especially when thinking back to the death of the late Princess of Wales, seeing images of the palace gates covered in flowers really stirs and uh, an image in people's minds but between the various official public staterooms the massive collection held within it and the potential of seeing either a ghost or a royal makes it that much more attractive we've seen it depicted in shows and films such as the crown victoria the series the favorite and many many more and i can guarantee you the rich history of kensington palace will continue for years to come. And that, my friends, is a brief overview into the residence of Kensington Palace. If you made it this far, thank you for stopping by and spending some time with me. I enjoy you being here and being a part of the official British Royal Fanatic Podcast family. If you enjoy spending time with me, I have a Twitter as well, at fanatic underscore royal, where I try to engage with all of you guys and also post updates as far as what's happening in the royal family in real time. I have an email, britishroyalfanpod at gmail.com. Let me know how I'm doing. Let me know how I can improve this for you guys or if there are any subjects in the future that you would like me to cover. You can find me on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and, and Apple Podcasts. Of course, subscribe, rate, review, share. Let me know how I'm doing so I can make this podcast the best it can be. Thanks for stopping by. I hope you have a great rest of your day, and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you.